Fight for the Speaker of the House, the New U.S. Congress. On today's docket, we'll discuss the fight over the new Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. With the November 2022 election of the 118th Congress, what was the minority party has become the majority party. However, that does not necessarily mean that the minority leader will become the Speaker of the House. There was a group of 20 congressmen and congresswomen who were not willing to vote for the would-be speaker. What was the end result? Stay tuned and find out. Episode 30. Fight for the Speaker of the House. Law in the News. The Four Legal English Podcast is now in session. Welcome to the Four Legal English Podcast. This is the show for lawyers, law students, and other professionals from all over the world who want to improve both their legal English and legal knowledge. In this podcast, we discuss different legal topics, such as law in the news, law in practice, legal writing, legal movies, and other issues. This podcast does not constitute legal advice. If you need legal advice, consult an attorney. You can check out our blog articles, available courses, and the show notes for this episode on our website. That's fours in the number four, legalenglish, no spaces or dashes, dot com. Fourlegalenglish.com. I'm Timothy Barrett, your host. I'm a former practicing attorney from the United States, more recently a law professor in Tbilisi, Georgia, and currently an author and podcast host, among other things. Back in episode 24, we discussed the midterm elections in the United States, which were, at that point, about to happen. They took place in November. The red wave that was predicted by many failed to appear. Instead, the Dems held the Senate, and the Republicans won the House, but barely. The Speaker of the House is the leader of the House. That is to say, the leader of the majority party. However, there was a tough fight for the Speakership. 20 congressmen and women refused to vote for the presumed speaker, Kevin McCarthy. Normally, the House votes once, and then that's it. They move on. The last fight over the speakership was in 1923, exactly 100 years ago. Since then, it was always one vote. The presumed speaker became the speaker, and they moved on. But this time, no way. It actually took them 15 votes before the speaker was elected. Set the scene. So the midterm election. If you remember when we talked about this before, in every two years, there's a scheduled election. Of course, there may be special elections. You know, someone has died, they resign, or maybe runoff elections. And of course, there are also local and state elections. But as far as the federal elections in the United States, we have them every two years. Now, every four years, the president is up for election. And because the president is running, it's a much higher voter turnout. More people show up to vote, 
or at least mail in their ballots as it is in the last couple of elections during the presidential election than in the off year, in the midterm elections. Now, for the federal elections, besides the president, you also have members of the House of Representatives are elected every two years. The entire House is up for election every two years. As far as senators, they are elected every six years. However, it is staggered. So approximately one-third of the Senate is up for election every two years. Even if there was a sudden outcry, everyone in the country hated their senator and wanted to vote new senators in, it would still take six years for that to happen. Whereas the House of Representatives, every two years, everyone is up for re-election. Besides federal elections, of course, people will vote for statewide offices, such as the governor, often the state attorney general, there may be secretary of state, other state offices, and of course the state legislature, the state parliament. And there are many local elections for mayor or city council or county commissioners, town selectmen, depending on where a person lives in the United States, there may be different offices that, that they can vote for. Another big one is the school board, especially during the, the lockdowns, have gotten a lot more attention than it did previously. Lots of bitter fights at the school board meetings in, in the elections for the school board members. And of course, related to law is the prosecutor, the district attorney, county attorney, or state attorney, depending on, on which jurisdiction they're in. But they are each elected in that district. And in some states, the public defender is also elected. And of course, each county elects its own sheriff. There may be police departments that are not elected, but the sheriff is elected. Now, normally, the president's party, whoever the president is, whichever party it is that holds the White House, their party is going to lose seats in the House and the Senate in these off-year elections, midterm elections. I have an interesting graphic from Bloomberg. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Check out the show notes, and you can see... In the last 11 midterms, only five times did the president gain seats in the House or the Senate. Even though it's 11 elections, that's really 22 elections because you have the House and the Senate are voted separately. And so out of those 22 possible elections, only five times did the president's party win seats. Did they increase the number of seats that they held during the midterm election? And two of those times were in 2002, just a, a year or so after the 9-11 attacks, where the, President Bush at the time had a lot of support, you know, kind of as a result of that. So it's pretty rare for the president to get more seats in the midterm election. Now, maybe they have control of the House or they have control of the Senate, but normally they're going to lose that control or at least lose their margin of control. That's, that's the norm. When are the federal elections? They're scheduled for the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November. So basically, you know, somewhere between the 2nd to the 8th of November, depending on how the calendar falls. In the United States, there are two major parties, the Democrats and the Republicans. There are other minor parties. In some local races, they may be important, but generally speaking, as far as nationwide politics, it's only these two parties that really have much influence. Oftentimes, maybe during the last 20 years, they've kind of become associated with, with colors. The Democrats being blue and the Republicans being red. 
So often you'll hear about a red wave or other years a blue wave, meaning a lot of support for one party or the other that should create a wave that brings in a lot of people into Congress or even a president toward, to the White House because of that wave. Sometimes they turn out, but other times they kind of disappear maybe far at sea. The wave never really hits the shore. And that's pretty much what happened with this midterm. The 2022 election. The U.S. Congress is divided into two houses, the Senate and the House of Representatives. Originally, the senators were not elected. They were selected by the state legislatures. And those state legislatures would pick someone. They would go to Washington to represent the state or really the state government, the state legislature. That changed a little over 100 years ago when they modified and amended the Constitution to allow for a direct election of the senators. And as a result of that, of course, the state or the state government, as well as I think the state as a whole, lost a lot of power in Washington. Because now the senators were not beholden to the state legislature, they were beholden to the citizens of the state. As a result, there's a lot more power you know, driving towards Washington than, than away from it. After the 2020 election, the Senate was evenly divided. If you remember, each state has two senators, and there are 50 states, which means there's 100 senators, so it always makes the math easy when talking about the Senate. After the, the last election, the 2020 election, it was evenly divided. There were 50 Democrats and 50 Republicans. So how do they run a evenly divided Senate? Well, the president of the Senate is actually the vice president of the United States. And normally the vice president doesn't get to vote in Senate matters, but he or she does get to vote when there's a tie. After the 2020 election, when the Senate decides who's the majority leader in the Senate, well, it was a tie, right? There's 50 senators for each of the two candidates. However, the vice president gets the tie-breaking vote. So the vice president is a Democrat. The vice president and the president are always from the same party. They're on the same ticket. And so the Democrats won because they had the vice presidency. After this 2022 election, the Democrats got the majority. There's 51 Democrat senators and 49 Republican senators. The Republicans lost one seat in the Senate. And like I said, because the vice president is a Democrat, it really doesn't change much in the Senate. And so even during the next two years, if the Democrats lose a senator, it's still not going to change the balance of power. They'd have to lose two senators. Now let's look at the House. The House has 435 seats in total, which means you need to have 218 to have a majority. So the Republicans did win the majority. Remember, previously it was under Democrat control. But the Republicans only won 222 seats. The Democrats hold 213 seats. So the margin is only four seats for the Republicans. It clearly was not a stellar election for the Republicans. And I think it clearly looks poorly upon all of the leaders of the party, such as you know, former President Trump, the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, in the House, the minority leader was Kevin McCarthy. 
in the Republican Party committee itself, Rona McDaniel, who does a lot of behind-the-scenes work and fundraising and coordinating, things like that. But really, none of them look good. This election did not make any of the Republican leaders look good. But they all appear to keep their position. Trump is still the presumptive nominee. I mean, obviously, there's still a campaign season. Who knows what will happen? But he's still a major contender for the 2024 nomination for president. The Senate leader, Mitch McConnell, is still the the leader, the minority leader, and doesn't appear to be going anywhere. The Republican Party leader is in for a fight. Ronna McDaniel is in a fight with somebody else for that position. So interesting to see how that shakes out. It's still ongoing. And of course, we're about to talk about the House leader, Kevin McCarthy, and whether he made it to the Speaker's seat or not. But really, none, none of these leaders look good after this election. The fight. So 20 Republicans refused to vote for McCarthy. Now remember, they only have 222 Republicans. They needed 218 for the majority. They only have four that they could lose. So when 20 refused to vote for McCarthy as Speaker, that means he doesn't have the majority votes. He's not going to be elected Speaker. The opposition, the Democrat nominee, doesn't have enough votes either. He doesn't have a majority. So after the first vote, no one had a majority, so they have to keep voting. Kevin McCarthy is a Republican from Bakersfield, California, and he became the first majority party leader in a century that failed to secure the speakership on the first ballot after the first vote. Historically, there have been 14 times where you had disputed speaker elections that required multiple ballots, multiple voting in, within the House. But this is only the second one after the American Civil War. That was in the 1860s. So this is a pretty rare occurrence. How many votes did it go through? Well, it went through 15 votes. The Speaker wasn't decided until the House of Representatives voted 15 times. Now, what was the the appearance of this? The legacy media, or the mainstream media, kind of describes this as being embarrassing. You know, kind of like the Republicans are airing their dirty laundry, they can't get their act together, they don't know which way to go, that sort of thing. But I, I wonder, was this really something bad? I certainly have noticed a a theme over the last few years that the ruling class kind of ruling over the ruled or the leaders and the elite people over the regular people or especially the last couple of years, experts over regular people. And sometimes I I wonder if, if it even matters what party they're from. Certainly a lot of people in Washington have a lot more in common with each other than they do with the people that they're supposed to represent. And I don't think this is unique to Washington or America. I think this is true in most capital cities with with most parties. And here you have a fight or a disagreement within one party where the majority of them, 200 of them, want to go one way and 20 want to go a different way. What's also interesting is those 20 rebels, the 20 that refused to vote for McCarthy, are probably more in line with Republican voters, with mainstream Americans. 
And certainly, I think uh, a lot of voting polls bear that out. They're much more representatives, and, and their views are much more representative than the views of the 200, the majority of the majority. And I think you could also describe this as a fight against seniority. You know, generally speaking, it doesn't matter the party, but the longer one is in Washington, the more power or influence they have. This is true in the, the House and the Senate. For example, the longer that they're there, the better committee assignments they're going to have, the better chairmanships they're going to have. If they're brand new, there's no way they're going to get a chairmanship. They have to be there. They have to pay their dues. But this always seemed unconstitutional to me. And I don't mean it was against the text of the Constitution, but it's certainly against the spirit of the Constitution. You know, each member of the House or the Senate should be equal to the others. There's no provision in the Constitution that if they've been there longer, they have more rights or more, uh, more privileges because they've been there longer. If anything, the Founding Fathers would have found that despicable. And the U.S. has some fundamental problems, including a debt that in reality cannot be paid back. No one expects it to be paid back unless you have crippling inflation and, and the dollar becomes worthless. That debt is $31 trillion. And neither party really wants to come to terms with this reality. In 2022, the U.S. government spent $6.3 trillion in on a revenue of $4.9 trillion. That's a deficit of $1.4 trillion. In other words, they spent an extra $1.4 trillion that they didn't have. And that you know, is, a, is a common theme over the, the last several decades. And of course, that deficit number, $1.4 trillion, is much more than most governments spend. Uh, so this is a, a phenomenal number that seems to be repeated and repeated. And of course, over time, the leadership of the House, and the same is true of the Senate, have gained more power. And this is regardless of party. So if you're an individual you know, congressman or congresswoman or a senator, they don't have as much power as they did, let's say, 100 years ago. Whereas now, the leadership of the House and the Senate have a lot more power to kind of control which, ways, which way things are going to go. And part of this struggle, part of this fight over the speakership was an attempt to restore some control back to the members, to the congressmen, congresswomen. So after the 15 votes, McCarthy did get elected as speaker. So he is the speaker of the 118th Congress. Before he was able to convince those 20 to vote for him, there was a big struggle, and he had to give up some concessions. We'll talk about those directly. Concessions by McCarthy. So in order to convince those 20 holdouts to vote for him, McCarthy had to make several concessions, several agreements to them. Now, some of those members, I think, wanted McCarthy to leave, to kind of give up someone else to get it. But there really wasn't anyone that was kind of ready to take over. You know, none of the, the 20, I think, had the support from the, the rest of the party. And I think some of the people that they were willing to follow really didn't want it, which I think is kind of disappointing. But outside of that 20, none of the other congressmen or women really wanted to stand up to McCarthy and say, yeah, vote for me. So it kind of became clear that McCarthy 
was going to be the, the speaker. It was just a matter of what concessions, what things would he give up to the, the 20 rebels. There have been several reports which, which describe them, so I'll go through them here. And of course, it's kind of interesting to see how will this shake out. During the next two years of this Congress, will these concessions stay that the way they are, or will they be ignored? Will they be forgotten? You know, what will happen if, if that happens? It's kind of interesting to watch and see. So let's talk about some of those, those concessions. The first is a single member can move to vacate the chair, basically empty the chair. So any member of Congress can make a motion to say, you know what, I think the speaker is not doing what he promised to do or she promised to do and should vacate the chair, give up the speakership. And so then it would go to a floor vote and all the members would get to vote on it. And this is something I think originally instilled by Thomas Jefferson so it has a long history. It was really just uh, gotten rid of uh, recently with the last Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, and of course, by doing that, it kind of cements her power or cemented her power. So of course, every Speaker would probably want to get rid of this or, or keep this gone. But McCarthy agreed for, to restore the, this uh, single member vote. Another concession was a hard line on the debt limit. As we talked about, as we talked about, there is a huge debt problem, and Congress usually is reluctant to really do anything about it. They just kind of kick the can down the road. They don't want to really make a decision. And I'm, I'm always surprised, which maybe tells you more about me than about them, but that it usually comes to a head in December uh, when they haven't, you know, really, uh, when they haven't agreed on the, the New Year's budget, which started in, in October. In December, they haven't agreed, so it comes up. To, to a crisis point, and of course, everyone wants to go home for the holidays, for Christmas and New Year's, and so I, I always thought that was a, a bad time to make it come up with a point, even if you're going to fight over it, you know, just kind of kick it down the road till mid-January, and then, and then make the stand then. The holdouts usually cave, and the debt is increased. The House will hold votes on term limits and on border security, and so term limits meaning to limit the amount of time that a congressman or a senator will be able to be elected. I, I, I'm not sure the specifics of this. I don't think that would really be constitutional unless they, be, they made it a constitutional amendment. I don't think Congress could really limit that, but, but there are some that, that disagree with that. But it would be interesting if it became a constitutional amendment. Now, the promise is that they're going to vote on it. That doesn't mean it's really going to pass the House. And if it does pass the House, it's probably going to be dead in the Senate. How many politicians are going to vote to kind of limit their power or sunset their power that they can't be reelected after you know the next cycle or something like that? But it, it, it's, it'll be interesting to see how many vote for it. So at least there's progress with that. Some other concessions have to do with how spending bills or appropriation bills are created in, in the House. One of the, the beefs was recently a one7 trillion what they call omnibus appropriation bill. Omnibus meaning they just kind of put everything in there, everything in the kitchen sink. So oftentimes the congressmen or senators really don't have time to go through it. It might be hundreds or even thousands of pages of text. They might get the final version the day of the vote or, or shortly before the vote. The former speaker was kind of famous for saying, 
Well, you have to pass it, you have to vote on it and approve it to find out what's in it, which is kind of, uh, sounds like a bizarre world. Of course, the people in parliament, the people in Congress should know what they're voting for, but sometimes the text is too large and you know there's changes to it so, so they never get the final version until they have to vote on it. So that should end. I think they're going to, they're promised to have 72 hours from the final version to the vote. And instead of an omnibus bill, it will be separated out. So each bill will be for like one department or, or one area of government. So it shouldn't be so large, kind of thrown in together. Another concession was the setup of a, a committee to kind of investigate the, the government, which is kind of ongoing. And other issues have to do with committee assignments. The Congress, uh, both the House and the Senate, will have committees and even subcommittees that will look over, oversee certain areas. For, for instance, like the Judiciary Committee will look after the courts, or the Foreign Relations Committee you know, will look at foreign international relations, etc. Some of those committees are, are very important, others may be less important, but some of those rebels or some of the, the they call the Freedom Caucus will have better committee assignments than they would previously. It kind of remains to be seen how will these concessions really hold out over time. And, you know, we may be misled by some of these concessions. We don't have necessarily a contract. We just have kind of reports of reports. But it's kind of interesting to see how this will shake out. Will, in one or two years, people remember this fight? Or will it just be a footnote that's, that's soon forgotten? Time will tell. But what do you think? Let me know in the comments. And if you like topics like this, then please let me know in the comments. I can do more episodes kind of focusing on, on this in related topics. What questions do you have about today's episode? You can post those questions or any comments on the show notes. This is a great way to practice and improve your legal English skills. You can go to the website for, as in the number four, Legal English, no spaces or dashes, dot com. For legalenglish.com. You can check out our blog articles and show notes for this episode and check out the episode quizzes. It would be fantastic if you could subscribe and give us a review. If you could leave us five stars and a nice comment, it would really help the algorithm and other people to find our podcast. If you leave a great review, I might even read it on the air. So start writing. The Four Legal English Podcast is adjourned. Don't miss the next docket call. <laughs>